0: Well, good morning. So great to see you guys this morning. As Ronald mentioned this morning, we are about to venture into a new study. We're going to be venturing into the study of 1 Corinthians and... uh, you know, as a, as an introduction to a study like this, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting when you study and we're going to, and you know, if you guys have been here for a while, you know, when we study a, a book, we, we sit down in that book and we, we take our time in that book and it becomes the fodder of jokes as to whether we'll ever exit the book. Uh, so, you know, don't, don't, don't take this lightly, you may be in 1 Corinthians until you're, you, know, you're, you have grandchildren. And a lot of things could change by the time we exit here. You could have a college degree. I mean, there's a lot that could go on. Uh, but you do, you develop a little bit of a relationship with the book, don't you? Right? So most of you guys that are here, you were with us in the study of Exodus, right? And now your Bible kind of flops open to Exodus all by itself. Even if you have an electronic Bible, it goes there automatically. Uh, something happens you develop this this affection for having hung out with and spent time with the way in which God has revealed himself to these particular people, and you get to know them, and you connect with that book. So I'm very excited about us doing that with the, the letter to the Corinthians. So this morning... We're actually just introducing that study, but I felt like we needed to for, for some of you who have maybe joined us in the last couple of years, I'm not sure we have explained ourselves in this category, so I actually titled in the message this morning, Why We Study the Bible the Way We Do, Because right? maybe you're coming into the church and you've come from another church setting, and you have sat under the leadership of a different pulpit and been in a church for years. And, and there's a certain r- rhyme and rhythm to wherever you came from, right? The, you came in on Sunday mornings and there was something that was going to be talked about. And there was going to be a preaching venue and people were going to say some things. And, and probably, I, I don't think I'd be inaccurate in saying this, although I'm not working with good polling material. Probably you came from a church that put a a little bit more emphasis in the topical teaching dimension from their pulpit than probably what we do when we sit in a book and go through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. It's just a little bit more popular to teach topically today from pulpits than it is to teach what we call exegetically. Uh, Now I'm going to make a case today for exegetical study, and that's just a big fancy word for going through the Bible passage by passage and trying to capture the thoughts that are being presented from it. I don't want to communicate this and actually I I would be at odds with a few of the guys who write well in this category and who love exegetical preaching and they they treat topical preaching like it's anathema, like somehow you have fallen from grace if you preach a message that's not uh, going through passages this way. Um, You'd be hard-pressed to read the letter to the Corinthians and say, ah, the Corinthians is an exegetical study of an existing book. You know, it's not that, is it? It is a topically driven presentation where the Apostle Paul is going to interact with situations going on in Corinth, their understanding, their lives, and he's going to he's going to pick up one topic after another, if you will, and he's going to bring thought on that. And, and we would not be opposed at all to the need for sitting in a topic. You know, we started this year talking about the topic of being enchanted. And the impact that it has on our lives. And have received tremendous feedback from folks in that category. So there's moments, times when uh, we need to hear from God in a topical way. If you, if you look at the prophets, if you read through the prophets, the prophets are being driven by something that's, that's kind of in the topical realm. Now, the way in which they interact with it is very important. But when you look at why is Isaiah talking about what he's talking about? Now, why is Jeremiah talking about what he's talking about? They're not just reeking back to Genesis and teaching you about Abraham and who he was. They're putting their foot down in the world of their contemporaries, their current culture. And they're saying, hey, guys, this is what's going on right now. This is what it feels like to do life today. This is how life is going on for us in our culture today. Now, can I just tell you what God has to say about that? That's the role of a prophet. And, and the pulpit should feel that way sometimes. There should be moments where what you're hearing sounds like, hey, can I just draw our attention to life today, how it's being done, how it feels to us right now? And now can I, can I make us aware of what God has to say about that? Well, that's going to be a little bit of a topically driven element. But what is, is very important, very needed, is to approach the Bible in an exegetical fashion, is to recognize the Bible is, is creating a conversation with us. now, Now, sometimes we think we're creating the conversation with it. And that is a way to approach the Bible. But the Bible's already, you know, you're kind of joining a conversation already in progress. You're walking up to a conversation that's already happening. And so when you read the Bible and just let it speak to you about whatever it wants to talk about, it's going to present things to you. Concepts, truths, ideas, principles, values that it was generating it wasn't just something you brought up when you came to it, which, which I kind of want to What did I title this thing today. Why we study the Bible the way we do. Um, we approach the Bible a certain way here. You approach the Bible a certain way in your life. Right? There are moments in your life that you are going to pick this Bible up and you have a particular motive as to why you're doing it. And I'm going to identify a couple of things here in just a moment. But you might pick this Bible up being driven to it by something about your own life. Which is, again, not wrong. But it's also very limited when you go to do that. And the danger of approaching the Bible the wrong way is that you're, you're going to turn it into something, perhaps, not always, that's not necessarily meant to be. And one of the greatest crimes that takes place is... is When we forget the purpose of why this was written and what it wants to talk about. It wants to talk about some things. It might not want to talk about what you want to talk about. But it wants to talk about some things. And when you misplace that, you will turn this thing into something that it's not intended to be. The number one most common mistake I think people do to the Bible is that they turn this book into sort of like a moral manual. Like, like, like it's some kind of an encyclopedia of morals. It's got, it's got moralistic stories in it. It's got motivational sayings in it. It's got wise ways to approach things. And so what ends up happening is what we have in our hands here is a, is a, is a book with boundaries for humanity. This is how you live. This is how you don't live. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. And, and next thing you know, that's kind of how we feel like we're relating to this God. And, and don't get do me wrong. There's a lot in this book about right and wrong, about what's out of bounds and what's not. But the, the book is not intending to be this thing we come to when we read and we say, okay, this is what this book's about. I'm doing A, but I should be doing B. And five years from now, I find myself in a different place, got new features in my life. Okay, now I'm doing A, but I should be doing B. Then I grow up a little further add a little money to my pocket, relate to something over here, get into a situation. I'm doing A, but I should be doing B. So the the Bible just becomes this moral manual that steers you. Can I tell you when this book was written, that's not why it was written. And if I've turned it into that, I'm going to miss what it's saying in so many ways. All right, so i put this in your outline. This needs to be a guiding principle every time you pick the Bible up. The Bible... This is, this is what it is. It is the story of the creator restoring his purpose to his fallen creation. And this takes place not by mere human moral exertion. Right? What this book is about, it is not about summing up humanity with all of its strength and determination to live better lives. Ultimate lives. More improved lives. Less immoral lives. It's not what this book is about. It's taking place by God's grace. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And through the animating power of God's spirit. That's what this book is about. So if you walk up to the Bible and say, hey, let's talk. That's what it wants to talk to you about. Every page... Every letter, every book that's in it is trying to further that little paragraph that you have in front of you there. So if you want to hold on to something that says, hey, what am I coming to when I read this thing? Well, that's what it's trying to accomplish. But the question for us is, okay, so but what's driving you to pick this book up? And I'm going to make two ultimate statements. You you can either approach the Bible being driven there by... Kind of a man-centered man-driven reason right you're doing life you're a teenager and you're getting affections for somebody and so <clears throat> there's this sense of love that's going off we're gonna talk about love today so you know well what does the bible to say about love you know, and then maybe you get a little bit later on. You get into college. You're trying to figure out, what do I do with my life? And so, hey, you know, where's the section on the will of God? Is there like a, like a section on that? Oh, how do you find the will of God? And we, we're looking for that. How many of you guys know you, you, you can't find a section on that? Isn't that the most frustrating thing in the world? Right, I mean, you've lived. You know, should I marry this person or not? Oh, my gosh. Should we move? Should we live here? Should, should we buy that thing? And you're like looking for the purchasing page. It's like, what the heck is that? Uh, And you start realizing after you've done that enough times that that's not how this book speaks. It reveals other stuff. And that's so frustrating because our life is screaming out in categories. Saying, hey, give me an answer. Give me some thoughts. What do I do right now? Oh, I'm so under the weight of this. And we want the Bible to just kind of come to us in a particular way. But it's already talking. And it's already saying things in a particular way. And so the second way to approach the Bible is is to come to it realizing there's a God behind what's written here who wanted to talk about particular things. May not be what you want to talk about. But how important is it for you and I to start having conversations about things that the God of the universe might want to talk about? And not just come to the Bible when, I, you know, my life starts to itch in a particular way. And it's like, oh, I'm all freaked out about something. You know, where's the, where's the freak out section? I've got to find an answer for this. I'm in conflict. Oh, where's the conflict section? And we just try to run straight to a verse that sounds like a little nugget, you know, a little devotion for the day thing. Um, listen, when you do that, you, you do recognize you have a limited number of things you ever want to talk about. Do, do you recognize that about yourself? You're going to want to talk about, it, and I do too, uh, you know, what comes to the headlines quickly is suffering, stress, difficulty, problems, it's like, that gets my attention, I want to talk about that, hey God, what do you have to say about that? Or desires, cravings, ambitions, goals, things that I want, that, that, that surfaces for me, you know, how, hey, what, what's God got to say about that? I'm on that page now. I'm interested in that now, God. What what can you tell me? Now listen, this is why a lot of pulpits design things topically. Because if I can zero in on what you want to talk about as a topic, I'm halfway there already as a preacher. I already got your interest. So I'm landing in one topical category after another. Whatever's got your attention, I'm trying to find that. And I'm going to talk to you about that. Something's going to happen this summer. If you guys travel and happen to go visit a church, you might bump into this by accident. But there is this little creative idea out there <clears throat> that some pastors laid hold of years ago. And, you know, summer is always a unique time for pulpits. A lot of times a little special series gets done. A bunch of pulpits this summer will do what a bunch of pulpits do every summer. They will go to the movies. How many of y'all have been in a church where they've gone to the movies with the pulpit? Right? And so they're going to preach to you from the movies. And they're going to take popular movies and they're going to preach messages out of what's in that movie. Now, the good thing about that, if there is anything good about it, is you're interested in that. It's not some topic you could give a rip about because they're popular movies. And they're saying something and they've got some angle in them, etc., some churches don't go to the movies, but they go to politics a lot. Or they go to the common media a lot. And so a lot of their messages get driven out of what's trending out there. So we're going to talk about all kinds of trending stuff. Maybe gun control is going to come up. Maybe immigration is going to come up. Race is going to come up. Gender is going to come up. Same-sex marriage issues are going to come up. And, and that's, the pulpit's going to get driven by those kinds of ideas. How many of you know that you're probably not going to self-generate topics like the atonement? Justification by faith. That's probably, you're not going to be probably kicking that out anytime soon, right? Church discipline. I mean, I don't think at any day now, I'm just going to be like, oh, you know, church discipline. You know, I wonder if I'm so out of bounds right now with my life that I ought to be kicked out of here. I'm just curious, you know. What's the Bible got to say about that? You know, probably not going to be one of your topics. But what's important when the Bible's already having a conversation with us, the creator who created everything, he wanted to talk about certain things. And so he brings them up. And when you and I go to study the Bible, if we're not careful, we can dodge a lot of what God has to say, can't we? Because that's just not where I'm at, you know. Hey, I get that sometimes, you know, the feedback I get after a message, oh, greatest message ever. Uh, it's, like, it's like, okay, I, I'm, I probably just showed up in your zip code, right? Just happened to preach something that is where you're living right now and what you're going through. But sometimes the Bible talks about things that you and I don't give a rip about. But we need to. Otherwise, we're not going to understand other dimensions of what's written in the Bible. And so when you approach the Bible, if you're a person who approaches the Bible and you never just read through the Bible to get passages, chapters, entire books under your belt of understanding. You're just shopping for something that touches the bobo or gives you something to motivate you to get you through the day. can, Can I venture to say you're probably distorting and misusing the little Bobo verses that you've put your fingers on or the motivational verse that you've got your eyes set on because you needed some of the other content that you didn't want to talk about but God wanted to talk about it and there's a lot of that stuff in first Corinthians right so I just want to illustrate that today so if you and I were to venture into first Corinthians right if you got a real bible one of those electric ones. You can do what I'm about to do here. Right. You can turn to 1 Corinthians with me. So let's say we opened up 1 Corinthians and we're standing there at the threshold of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. And we're going we're gonna to pass a heat sensor over this book to find hot topics. Let's find something we all want to talk about. Right? And we begin to venture through it. And, you know, we're going to go through it. We're not going to do this when we study it. But, you know, I mean, you start off and there's talk of trouble. It's a lot of talk of trouble with the Corinthians. Uh, Maybe you're not into church divisions. And so you don't want to talk about the first couple of chapters. And, you know, there's that guy who was having an affair with somebody who was related to him. Well, that sounds scandalous. I might just want to read that. But that sounds icky. I don't know if I really want to get involved. So we just kind of pass over certain things. Maybe if you've been in the church for a while, you'd love to talk about, you know, the controversial, you know, the gifts of the Spirit. So maybe that's a hot topic for you. But I think everybody would land in chapter 13, right? It's the love chapter. It's the most profound, concise definition for this word love. And, and, and we're all interested in that, right? So, do 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 Chapter 13. Let's talk about chapter 13. Let's talk about love. All right, well, here's part of the problem. That topic caught your interest because you already have some ideas in place about love. You already feel a certain way about it. As a matter of fact, you're hoping the Bible says the same thing you're saying about it. Isn't that why you shop in the Bible sometimes? I really want to do this. I wonder if the Bible will tell me it's okay. All right, so I've got some ideas about love. Let me see if the Bible says what I'm thinking about love well here's the problem you're thinking stuff about love where'd you get what you're thinking what are you trying to force God to agree with right let me give you a couple of thoughts about love here we've got some some love thoughts no that's not it there we go anybody knows who Jim Morrison is how you guys are below 35. Well, You know, people know music now. He's adores. All right. A true friend is someone who lets you have total freedom to be yourself. That's what real love amounts to. Letting a person be what he really is. All right. Jim smoked a lot of dope. All right. So <laughs> give him some space. All right. Uh, Alexander Smith says, love is but the discovery of ourselves in others and the delight in the recognition. (laughs) Listen, some of us are living by these, okay? (laughs) Because that's what we've been taught. Mahatma Gandhi, where there is love, there is life. So big priority on this issue of love. Euripides said the greatest pleasure of life is love. This is a priority. Buddha said, you, yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. Charles Schulz, I think, is most helpful. All you need is love, but a little chocolate now and then doesn't hurt. <laughs> all right, where do you get all you need is love? Okay, here's some, here's some images for us. If you are tracking with current ideas, right? back in the day, I'd like to buy the world a Coke. Can't we just all get along, for goodness sake? I mean, can't we just love each other and stand on the side of the mountain with people of all different races and viewpoints and opinions and ways of doing life and, and, and just have a coat together? Right. I mean, we're just loving each other, right? Yeah. The Beatles came along and really helped us. All you need is love. I mean, it's all you need, right? That's it. Just all this other stuff. You're so complicated and you're so opinionated about all kinds of stuff. And wars are being fought. And, you know, people are fighting over places and jobs. You know, you don't need all that, man. You just need love. And then our our hashtag world has just become love wins. You know, all that contention and fighting and people standing for this versus people standing for that. You know, you just, just in the end, just love wins, man. Love just needs to win. And that's even gone, that that little phrase went went theological and a guy wrote a book called Love Wins and turned the Bible on its ear when he did it. right, so this is what you and I are bringing to the topic, right? This is what's driving us to this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So let's go there With all of our, all you need is love. And by the way, I've subtitled today's message. All you need is love and the rest of 1 Corinthians. So let's start in verse 1, chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have All faith, so to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be buried, but have not love, I gain nothing. Right? And there's a whole bunch of reasons we'll learn along the way. So why is Paul talking to these guys about these things this way? Well, we got to get to know them a little bit to figure that out. But obviously the priority in this passage is love matters, doesn't it? It's a pretty important thing. Don't attempt to live your life for the glory of God, minimizing and misplacing that. You could be doing a lot of stuff that look right, but you're missing a key ingredient. Look in verse 4 then. So what is this love? Well, love, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, or love never fails, some of your translations will say. So there's a a pretty... uh, challenging, meaningful definition for love, right? Because we use that word in all kinds of ways. Full of a lot of sentiment, full of emotion and feeling and what kind of mood am I in? But this is some pretty extraordinary activity. And again, if I'm picking the book up and I'm coming to it and I was just looking for okay, so I just, I really like this guy. I really like this guy. And let me get some tips on love. And here's some tips on love. Here you go. And so you're gonna put that on and you're gonna morally adjust your life and you're gonna go for it, right? Alright, go for it. Alright, if you're gonna be honest when you go for it, you're gonna find out a little bit later this is a really, really pain in the butt to do. Love is patient. How many of y'all are still loving? So if you're not patient, is is that love? I mean I don't know. Love doesn't envy. Anybody got any envy problems in the room? Anybody going on Facebook and staring at somebody else's proposed world saying, oh, well, how come they have and why don't I have? And, well, I guess that's a, a love problem. Uh, my favorite in here personally is uh, it's not, love is not irritable. I'm just glad that doesn't apply to me, that I never have moments when I'm... Really, really irritated by things that are not going my way and the people associated with them. Love endures all things. Really? It endures all things? It just hangs in there and keeps doing ultimately what's the best and most thoughtful and self-sacrificing for all things? Really? That's love. This is a hard definition for love, isn't it? The really, really, really good news is 1 Corinthians is not just this passage. There's a few things that we might want to have learned along the way before we got to this verse. But remember, we shopped here, right? We ran here because our life drove us to, we want to learn something about love. But but what if God in his wisdom said, hey, well, I didn't start the conversation there. You're going to need to learn some other things if you're ever going to understand because the bible has a context every statement in the bible has a context it's associated and connected to a bigger thought you cannot ignore the bigger thoughts and just zero in on your favorite passage and decide that's my verse of the day you can't do that and that's why we study the bible the way we study the bible because by the time i get to this passage right now back up with me to 1 corinthians chapter 1 i have I've been introduced to some really, really, really important stuff if I ever want to understand, live in, experience, love. Because the list of stuff that's there is a lot of stuff that in and of myself, oh, that is not going to be me anytime soon. I might pull that off when I'm paying attention to it really, really hard this morning. But as soon as I get distracted and start doing life this afternoon, I will be impatient. Ooh, shoot. I, mean, I started the day saying I was going to be loving. And I can't even make it through the afternoon. So this is some challenging stuff to pull off. But there's other things that we needed to know along the way. And this is why we're going to take our time and study through this book. Chapter 1, verse 18. You might need to know this. For the word... Of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. All right, scoot over in chapter 2, verse 2, and Paul highlighted that so much that he said for himself, I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Right, So there's, there's something tucked away that as you and I mine out this truth of the cross and, and what it was, and Jesus Christ and him crucified, that there's going to be this power that comes into our lives. And then when I go to deal with things like patience and envy and irritableness, I'm going to have a different ability in me. Power is about ability, isn't it? I, I might need to know where power comes from. According to Paul, power comes from revelation about the cross of Christ. It brings power into my life. Alright, Well, what else is is here? Right. I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna tap on four little quick things that as you're as you're shopping in the grocery aisle of First Corinthians, if you want to cook in Chapter 13, these are the ingredients you're gonna have to pick up. Otherwise, your love's gonna taste really bad. So you're going to need a little bit of, added to your cart, a revelation of the cross of Jesus Christ. How about this next thought? Chapter 2, verse 6. How about the fact we're going to need spiritual wisdom? He says, yet among the mature, we, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age. Or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a, a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. All right. So you and I want to, we want to do this love thing in chapter 13. But before you get there, you need to be aware that there's this wisdom and, and it's a hidden wisdom. You, you won't find it by listening to Jim Morrison. You're going to need to stare into the mind of God and get a revelation from him about a hidden wisdom that when you get that, all of a sudden lights begin to go off about irritability and jealousy and prideful motivations. Something begins to interfere with that because I've seen something of the wisdom of God that makes me go, okay, I am envious and jealous for that, but why when i bring to bear the wisdom of god onto that situation i begin to think differently about whether or not i'm really envious for that or not do i do i really want that is that really the basis of my life where'd you get the idea to challenge that well back here in chapter two i was led in on the idea that there's a secret hidden wisdom i might need to tap into that if i want to experience this Chapter 2, verse 4 goes into the power of the Spirit of God. We might want to know something about that. Verse 4, he says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Listen, what do you know about loving like God loves if you haven't searched the mind of God to get a definition for what that love even is? And you can't search that out on your own. The Holy Spirit has to reveal it to you. So what do you know about receiving revelation by the Spirit? I don't take time for that. I just want to know about love, man. Can I just tell you? You will never know about love. You skip these parts. You'll frustrate yourself trying to provide knowledge of that, but you'll never attain it. Look in chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know? I love when he says that. Don't you get this? Do you not know? That you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. I I might need to know that if I'm going to love like God loves. Look at chapter 6, verse 11, right? I mean, that that little love chapter's got a bunch of stuff in it that I just don't feel like I can pull off. And if I look at my life sometimes, my life tells me, you ain't pulling that off, man. In chapter 6, verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, right? Idolaters, people who want things more than they want God. Well that's why I'm envious, and that's why I'm jealous and, and that's why I'm contentious because I have an idol in my life. I want something before I want God. He goes on and says verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God listen did you come to first Corinthians wanting to shop for that justification in the name of Jesus cleansing and washing and sanctification by the Holy Spirit did you come to first Corinthians to find that probably not because that's not what Jim Morrison was singing about and, and that's not what the Beatles said and the coke commercial doesn't feature that kind of love I just I just want that and, and the Bible's got to say something about that, right? Yeah, it, it, it's saying something right there about it that you might need to know when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And one more that I won't go into because we're going we're to enjoy getting to know these people. The Corinthians were a mishmash, hodgepodge, blending of a lot of different people. Different people. I'm going to use that term, a community of difference. Stealing that from a book title, but it's a good way to think. So if you want to understand love, you might need to understand what is called upon for each of us to live among people who are different than us. And I don't know if we always have an appetite for that, right? I mean, I'm all over the love thing. I want to experience the love thing. But I don't know that I want to have to deal with people who are different than me difficult, don't think the way I think, don't have my priorities, don't have my personality, don't respond to life the way I do. But yet if I really want to know something about love, this is the community that God creates. All right, so if I just took those four things, and there's more obviously, those four things, right? The cross, the wisdom that's hidden from the natural mind revealed by God, the power of the Spirit of God, and living in a community with people that are different than me. If I took those four things right, L-O-V-E right, in the same way that you can't spell love without the letter L and you gotta know what sound it makes otherwise you can't say the word, right? O-V-E If I remove those letters, you can't spell love. If I remove these theological concepts of understanding, you can't understand love either. Neither can I. That's why I might need something more than love. I might need all of 1 Corinthians, if I'm really going to understand this. Alexander Strouk, in his book, Leading with Love, he says, there are many false ideas about love that need correction. In the name of love, Christians have been known to abandon their families, commit every sort of sexual sin, Have you ever heard someone explain adultery and use the word love in the sentence? We fell in love. Like it's this all-justifying thing. Right? Like, well, you know, hey, alright, I know adultery is like a bad label, but we fell in love. Like like we're all supposed to scratch our head and go, "Oh, oh, well, yeah. Of course, you know, if you fell in love, okay, listen, if I get to 1 Corinthians 13 and I get a biblical definition for love, you fell in something else (laughs) that had an odor. (laughs) I'll leave that up to you. But it wasn't love. In the name of love, people have refused to practice church discipline. 1 Corinthians 13 is in a, a book that's going to highlight church discipline. But doesn't church discipline, if you're not familiar with church discipline, it's when someone's life refuses to respond to God in repentance and following Christ. And the church is called upon to put them out of the church. If that, that feels like rejection. That doesn't feel like love, does it? That's confusing, isn't it? That doesn't feel loving. And so lots of churches with their definition of love... Don't do church discipline. But but how can you pass through 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and land in 1 Corinthians 13 and say church discipline is unloving? How, How can you do that? Well, most people don't read and study the Bible exegetically, so they do that very easily. In the name of love, people redefine God and salvation. You come to the book... With your expectation of what love is. And there's no way a loving God could do that. It's no way. There's no way a loving God could send people to hell. There's no way. Did you, did you read all of 1 Corinthians? When you picked up chapter 13? Because it speaks to that. Instead of love being, quote, the fulfillment of the law. It has been made the enemy of the law. Over the years, I have talked to, to many people who were dissatisfied with their local church but but didn't know exactly why. In many of these cases, I believe the missing element was the kind of love envisioned in the New Testament. Failure to love is all too common and it creates a broad spectrum of problems as evidenced in the strife-ridden church at Corinth. Is there a reason why... The most specific defining passage on love is written to these people. Because as Paul interacted with them, it was obviously missing all around And it had created a world of dysfunction among them. They lacked an accurate understanding of what it meant to love each other. Strauch says love is vital to the local church because love is the life breath of the church. Essential to its evangelistic witness and its spiritual growth. So this is why we need love, but we need all of 1 Corinthians to understand those passages that might become our favorites. I think I put this in your outline. Might it be that we, the church, don't do 1 Corinthians love well for the very same reasons. We have a great agenda for love, but unfortunately... We are man-driven in our pursuit of that love. So it's often a quest to feel love or to experience love ourselves. However, we have disconnected the pursuit of love from the pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Of knowing the inworking power of the Holy Spirit. Of embracing a community of difference. But we still have the word love and we still have a desire for it. We have just detached it from its meaning. Here, follow this with me. Alexander Struck says, the, the love Paul speaks of is primarily love for fellow believers. The love was defined by Jesus Christ when he gave a new commandment to all his disciples to love one another just as he had loved them. All right, so now I've got to relocate the center of Of the universe of love for for wherever I've gotten it from. Whether it's love is the ultimate expression of just letting people be themselves. Whatever it is that that became the center of my ideas about love. I've got to relocate it if I'm going to get on the biblical page of love. Because love is defined just as he had loved them. This love gives itself in total self-sacrifice for the good of others. Jesus exemplified this new pattern of love by humbly washing the disciples' feet. And selflessly sacrificing his life on the cross for others. John puts it this way. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. You can't understand love if you don't understand the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You can understand somebody's view of love besides God's, but you can't really grasp a hot topic to us without grasping somewhere else. I mean, what a loaded statement here. This little phrase in that quote, by this we know Love that he laid down his life for us, if you just can ponder that statement for, a while. he well, who are we talking about who 's the he who 's about to lay down his life? because if i 'm going to know love by this i 've got to know what did you just say to me he. Well, who's he? Is, is this like the, the kind, loving gest- gesture of your neighbor when you're out of town and they take your garbage can in and they pick up your newspaper? You know, that's, that's loving and kind of them to do that. Or, or maybe your twin brother who donates a kidney to you sacrifices. To, is, well, that's all kind and good stuff, but, but they're not in the same conversation with the he in this passage. This is the eternal God, the Son, we're talking about. It's not a peer. It's not a friend. He is going to take the form of a human being, but he, he's not just one of us. By this we know love. He, that he. One of the greatest doctrines in the Bible it is in, it's what's called the kenosis. It's the self-emptying of God. It is this radical crazy idea that the God of all eternity who, who is over everything, outside of everything, defined in ways independent from his creation would become a little ant in the ant pile. Does that, does that do something to inform you? This is not like any other gesture you have ever been around. I might need to know something about that if I'm going to love like he loves. And he laid down his life for us. For us he did that. Does, does that do anything for you by way of giving a sense of what love is like? You know, Jesus turned around and said, you know, hey, what credit is to, to you that if you, you love those who love you? That's the kind of love you have. If, if you put a coin in me, I'll, I'll kick a coin back to you. You do for me, I'll do for you. That's the kind of love that we have. God turns around and says, uh, he laid down his life for us. For us. Do you, do you understand there is nothing God can get from us? Nothing. Nothing. He is the eternal, complete God. It's not like the, a little portion of the edge of who he is fell off and there's this little chink in who he is, like a little Lego piece missing. And he's, now he's out shopping in the universe to figure out, oh, can I get that Lego piece from you? Or from you? Would you love me? Would you give back to me? I'll do for you. If you'll do for me, can you just be this, I mean, I'm a big, infinite God, but can you just provide me a little piece to complete me? Do you understand? God never has a moment like that. And then you wrestle with the idea, well, King, okay, he laid down his life for us. For me. Well, how do you respond to that? Do you, do you respond with, well, well, of course he did. <laughs> Why wouldn't he? Do you know what I've done in my life? Do you know who I am? Do you know how much money I have? Do you know how much I help other people? Do you know what my education is? Do you know what I've accomplished? And you know, I, Listen, I'm not perfect, like anybody else. I've got my shortcomings. But I've also got my resume, right? And of course, why wouldn't why wouldn't he love me? Oh, okay. Can I, can I give you maybe a 1 Corinthians version of why? Chapter 1, verse 26. Hey, consider your callings, brother. This is the us. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not, not many were powerful, not many of noble birth. You know what's so weird? Is I know right now in this room, the matter of fact that I said that and I just downgraded who you are is not sitting well with a bunch of people right now. There are a bunch of you right now who really don't like where I just went. But but here's what I helped you to do. In downgrading you, I helped you to see a bigger God whose love is even more amazing. Because the more impressed you are with yourself, of course God would love me. Of course. Why wouldn't he? See, the more you're impressed with you, the less you accurately see God. But what if you're just not all that impressive? I mean, I know that's uncomfortable. What if you never have to be? What if the pressure's off of you for all eternity? You never have to perform, become something, accomplish something so that this God will love you. How do you feel about that? I don't know how you feel. I love that. That helps take the weight off of my performing soul to know a God who loves like that because my resume didn't attract him in the first place and it won't run him off either. That's pretty good news, isn't it? But but you got to stop buying Jim Morrison and everybody else's ideas. You might have to buy some of these and you might have to read all of 1 Corinthians to get it. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Famous verse. Read all of chapter 3. I'm not going to do that here. Read all of chapter 3 so you can figure out what did he give his son into? What does it mean he gave his son? Sent him on an errand? Said, hey, you know what? I'm willing to give up the next five minutes with you. Go, go run down there and fix earth and come on back. Did you read all of chapter 3 in John. The great love passage of God so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave his son into judgment is what he gave his son into. At the end of chapter 3, a revelation that God was going to use the sending of his son to spare the world of his judgment. Not by ignoring judgment, but by visiting that judgment on his son. You have passages like this one in 1 John chapter 4. Is, is Is this a love passage? Verse 10 says, In this, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Okay, So you have this admonition here, here, go love each other but before you go run off and love each other make sure you get this, this is how God loves and it's not because you first loved him, it's because he loved first and this is how that love expresses itself by sending his son as a propitiation. How many of y'all have ever written a love card and used the word propitiation in it? Honey, I just want to write a propitiation. <laughs> propitiation doesn't come up when we think about love, does it? If you understand that word, and I know right now there's a bunch of people in the room right going, "What the going, what the heck is that, by the way? If you could just sit with that for a few minutes, you know, the modern understanding, the Jim Morrison idea, the hyper- Presentation of tolerance in our world today needs to sit down. And if you're a person who feels like love is best defined by tolerance, you need to wrestle with this is how God loves by sending his son to be a propitiation. All right, that unused word means a satisfaction of God. It means that Jesus had to come and do something that you and I could not do in order to satisfy God's righteousness. In other words, the God of the universe was so intolerant of unrighteousness that he had to send his own son to meet the demands that his own righteousness makes on sin. If God was tolerant the way we understand tolerance, he would have just looked the other way, right? Come on, man. God, just get over it. People got to get over it. Get over it. People didn't do what you wanted them to do. All right. Just look the other way, God, because you're loving. That's, That's how you are. You're loving. No, he's not loving like that. But you just needed to walk through 1 Corinthians to get to chapter 13 to understand the cross informs what love is. And propitiation says there's a God that needed to be satisfied. So somebody was going to have to come and do the right thing because there were some other people who had done the... I don't know. Sometimes I scratch my head at how do people read the Bible and then freak out over it doesn't have a really high opinion of you. No, no, it's a motivational book. I can read this passage. Yeah, I know exactly what you do. You don't read it exegetically. I know exactly what you do. You shop and pick and choose and, and steal from it things that serve your own interest because you're driven to the Bible by man's interest rather than coming to the Bible with God's interest in mind. That God would have explained. There is a rightness about me that you don't meet. But in my love, I will send someone Then he will meet it on your behalf. It's not a moral manual. It's never asking you to fix what's wrong between you and God. It's not asking you to self-upgrade. It's just asking you to find the one who did it for you and to trust him. Because love is demonstrated in him. You can't get a definition for love if you don't like Paul. I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified because in that I know everything. One last thought. Familiar passage, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to talk about love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, but it is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not just you and I pressing hard, making hard choices, willing to sacrifice, taking the hard road when we need to, and loving. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It is the manifestation of the Spirit in our lives, right? And Corinthians helps us with that. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also... No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. No one is not a person who can pick the Bible up and arrive at God's insights and understanding and wisdom and ways without the Holy Spirit doing what only he can do in our lives. Now we, verse 12, have received not the spirit of the world See, before you get to chapter 13 and before you arrive at every passage that's become your favorite passage, for whatever reason it's become your favorite passage, there's other stuff being said. That phrase is part of a bigger statement. Other things are being revealed. You you can't study the doors, listen to a few albums Recover from smoking pot when you were in your 70s, in the 70s there, and, and think that I'm ready to talk about love. No, no, no. You, I don't know what you're ready for, but you're not ready to talk about love. You you might need to stare at the cross. You definitely need the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. You need to be among people who irritates you. Then we might be able to start a conversation about love. This is why we study the Bible the way we study the Bible around here. And this is, this is how one should approach life as well. This is, this is not just a matter of, okay, well, for all you guys who want to read the Bible, thanks for the tip. Um, no, Eric, you can come back up. I'm sorry. Um, no. You're, you're approaching your life the exact same way I just talked about approaching the Bible. At some point, something's going to go off in your life. right? Teenager, early 20s, married for 10 years later in life, empty nest, about to retire. So, you know, the different stuff goes off in those moments, right? It's not all the same stuff. I just, you know, just love children when they're like under 10. There's so much of the world they're ignoring, you know? They're just in their own little space, and it's great, and it's fun, and it's adventurous, and there's no sense of, you know, they're just beginning to figure out whether my ears are too big, um, whether I'm funny like the other guy or whether I can run as fast as somebody else. And for the most part, that doesn't matter too much. But in about two or three years, they're going to get crippled by that stuff, right? And all of a sudden, need is going to go off like, oh my gosh, I'm- Everything's not working right and, and then they'll bump into people and they'll get some rejection and they'll be hurt And they'll get in their 20s and and they try to get some goals and they and maybe even form goals out of all those wounds I'm, never gonna let that happen to me I will never be in need like I was when I, i'm gonna have money I don't care what if it kills me and so they're making decisions Right and so life begins to itch in certain categories and we run to the bible Say, so what do you what do you say about that? What do you, what do you say about that bible? Do you understand how little you're going to hear what this Bible has to say if that's how you approach the Bible? Because you have written the script for where it can and can't speak to you. It can only speak where you itch. And maybe you're, maybe you're, by worldly standards, a wealthy American suburbanite with lots of technology in your pocket and everywhere else in your life. And you are really, really out of touch with things that you really, really need. Because you've got an ability, like few other people in all the world, to get your own resources, to meet your own need. And if you can't meet your own need, you've got some means of just distracting you from how bad life really is. I don't have to stare at it. I've got something else I can stare at. I'll just, I'll just live in that world. And I, I will ignore the fact that my, my life hurts and it needs answers. So you might come to the Bible for some of the most bizarre stuff. I mean, you understand like the prosperity gospel, those of you guys know what that phrase means? It didn't start in South America, in Africa. It didn't start in poverty. Where did it start? with people who had lots of stuff already. They just needed the Bible to tell them how to get even more stuff. So now they've got, oh, I come to the Bible, what does it got to say about wealth? What's it got to say about power? Well, you know, you're listening for stuff that the guy in the third world country, he ain't listening for that. He's trying to figure out how life has meaning and how just to do the next day, just survive. Watch one of my children die of some disease that on the other side of the world, they just give him a shot and fix that what if through every generation and every culture and every continent, there was a God who has been speaking eternally and he wanted to talk about some things and he controls the topics and he tucks them away in this book and he says, take up and read and I will lead you into a revelation of things that matter in your life because you will never bring up the categories that matter the most that you need to know. Right, this is not just an explanation for why we study the Bible the way we do around here. It, it's a question for you as well. How are, how are you approaching your life? I'd be most concerned for, for you know, if, you're, if you've got a religious category in your life, but that's not a real hot issue, an area of your life. Probably what I've described is how you do, you're doing life right now. Right? If life's good and you feel good, Then, you know, maybe checking with God every once in a while. You got to wait for the wheels to come off really bad. Some crisis, some conflict, some bankruptcy. And suddenly you got questions for God. Okay, that's better than never pursuing God. But do you understand the God of the universe has pursued you? He wants to talk about some things. Important things. Will you pursue him on his terms? Will you open the Bible up and say, God, God, speak to me about whatever you want to speak to me about. And just begin to read it. Begin to let him bring up certain subjects. Highlight certain things. And not be freaked out when all of a sudden God, who said he loves, does something that doesn't fit your modern definition for tolerance. And you jettison God. You know, hey, maybe the world shifted into a bad category. You ever think of that? Maybe we got some bad ideas floating around modern man in America today. Maybe I I need to let the God of the universe speak the way he wants to speak. And buy into who he is. and, And live in that land with him. And just let him explain life to me rather than coming and saying, hey, God, prove that you're this way. Prove it. You're a good God, well, here's my definition for good. I got this going on, that going on, none of this, and this never happens. Are you good or not? You can't approach God that way. You're wasting your life. And can I tell you, you, your foot's on a banana peel, man. You are not far away from face-to-face encounter with God where he will not answer your questions. You will answer his. And one of the chief questions he's going to ask you about, and and it's a shame that you attended church today. um, He's going to ask you, did you take up and read? Because remember that dude in that church service that one day? He told you, that's how I speak. And I've made myself available to you, and I will talk to you about the things that matter the most in your life if you will take up and read and let me speak to you. You will find a wisdom that's hidden in the mind of God, not available on stores in your area. Do you want to do that is the question. Let's let's stand up together. We're going to pray for a moment. Lord, thank you for revelation. Oh, Lord. Left to ourselves, we come up with some crazy ideas about life, who you are, who we are. But the God of eternity, of all power, the God who is wise and perfect in all his ways, whose love is what we desperately need yet whose love may be so different than what we think this God has revealed himself in a book and there are pages in this book and topics and subjects and thoughts and concepts on the pages that we might not ever go to on our own But you chose to speak of them. And Lord, for those of us who have known you for any length of time, Lord, we remember I came to God with a shopping list. And then I got around his book and I began to appreciate just letting it speak to me about whatever it wanted to talk about. God, would you help us this morning with that? Now, we are a people living in a fast-paced world. What sometimes the only time we're looking to you is, is when we've got a fire and we need you to come put it out. Might be the reason why we're running after so many things in such a chaotic way. But God, would you lead us to listen to you talk about whatever you want to talk about? I going to pray for every person walking out of this building today. That it wouldn't just be, oh, I'm ready to study 1 Corinthians. But Lord, this would be how we do life. I would leave here today with a great priority in my heart. That the God of all eternity needs to speak to me about whatever he wants to speak to me about. I need to pick up his word and let it begin to speak in places that I didn't know I needed to know that. I didn't know that was important. I didn't know that was critical. Lord, oh, would you lead us that way? Would you guard us and keep us from being a people who are natural-minded, who never encounter the wisdom brought to us by the Spirit? Well, oh, we pray that as we open 1 Corinthians. We pray that in days ahead, the Holy Spirit be in our midst among us giving us insights we could never have on our own, teaching us to see the deep value of the cross of Jesus Christ, causing us to value the community of different people that you have placed among us. For Lord, in all these places, you are at work. and You knew we needed you to be at work in those places. So Lord, lead us through this study, but most importantly, God, lead us to pursue you, to have you speak to us the way you want to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.